to Crime Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined on this third day of March 2016 by my good friend and colleague and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Don't look at your... Um, well, actually, maybe you should, depending on when you're listening to this and depending on when it gets posted. Um, yeah, 3rd of May, so we're a couple of weeks out from... From Good Beer Week, but you may be listening to it in the midst of Good Beer Week, or perhaps in the lead up to Good Beer Week. Either way, hope you're doing well. Do that, and just while we while we're plugging, I do have to say up front before people get bored, um, I have been just slammed, and I'm I've got to get a post up hopefully today about the Q and A's that we're doing on Wednesday the 18th of May um, at Beer Deluxe upstairs, the Festival um, Hub. The Good Beer Week this year? Festival Hub, yes. Um, anyone that's listening that is going to be in Melbourne for Good Beer Week, get along. We've been very slow at pushing the, the, the details out because we've been trying to get together a really good panel um, of people to discuss um, the issues that we're looking at. And I guess this is it, it's probably primarily for brewers, um, a, a brewers panel, because we figured that um, venue, people who operate venues and are based in Melbourne are probably going to be all hands to the pumps at their venue that week. So the panel is very much geared at... Brewers, and probably for people that dream of owning a brewery one day, um, we put together a series of discussions that are really about beer quality and also the business of beer that are, people haven't really talked about. One of them is contracts um, and whether, you know, we, we, we tend to talk about beer contracts um, as being a coverall term for any arrangement between a brewer and a venue that gets a brewer's beer on tap. Um, when sometimes it's a little bit more nuanced than that, um, and we're going to talk about that. And are they in every circumstance bad, um, or are they in every circumstance good? And talk through some of the nuances of that. And also, some of the things that go on, the, the, the secret life of beer, about what happens to beer at the venue that probably isn't in the best interest of beer, um, and looking at the venue's um, point of view for what they do and the, the brewer's wishes for what happens to the beer and also whose responsibility it is to make sure that the beer that comes out of the tap is in the best condition um, that it could be. So um, I'll be putting more details, but if you are in Melbourne, I think it's 40 bucks uh, for the ticket and that gets you three discussion panels, including those two. You get to, I, I won't say hobnob or rub shoulders because I don't know that it's that big a draw card, but Pete and I will both be there. Um, you'll be part of a live recording of a couple of episodes of Radio Brews News, and we got great feedback from our podcast in the pub with Charlie Bamforth. But you also get lunch and uh, you know a, a couple of free beers um, for that forty bucks. So before you head off on your nighttime program, and that uh, there is quite a bit. You've got brewers and chewers that night, I believe, Prof. On the Wednesday, yes. On the Wednesday, um, but before you head off for your nighttime Good Beer Week program, if you want to spend a couple of hours just in a very relaxed uh, setting. Enjoying a couple of uh, beers and a bit of a feed and some really, really good conversation about the business of craft beer. Come along and join us and you can get tickets. I'll uh, link in the show notes, but you can get tickets uh, at the Beer Geek um, section of the web uh, of the Good Beer Week website. Um, so that, that plug out of the way, Prof. Mate, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. Fairly busy, which is good. Obviously, this time in previous years, um, those involved with the Australian International Beer Award judging side of things, uh, would be head down, ass up, um, tasting beers either this week or last week. Um, but this year, we sort of get a little bit of a break, and we're, the, the actual running of the judging side of the awards is, and there's about 4,000 beers, I think, that, um, that the judges have got to get through. We've increased the number of 
judges this year um, because we're doing it on the Thursday, Friday and Saturday that lead into Good Beer Week. So it'll be a great opportunity, particularly for those, uh, whether they're um, local, interstate or international judges, they can do the awards, then stay for a couple of days into Good Beer Week um, and get into the uh, awards dinner on the Thursday, the following Thursday, and stay for gabs. So it'll be a great opportunity. I don't envy the job of Damien Newstig and uh, and his crew behind the scenes, particularly uh, young, I think it's Glenn, uh, give me a bit of a shout out, who uh, looks after or has looked in the past looked after all the IT side of things. Uh, as you can imagine, Matt, some of the... Um, Towards the end of the day, some of the judging, particularly when you get into some of the bigger, bolder, uh, more flavoursome beers, uh, the, the handwriting can get a little bit scratchy. And uh, luckily, in the last couple of years, it's all sort of been automated and uh, and scores go into a laptop on each table. Uh, and that's all collated, which obviously makes it a little bit easier to, to make sure that, you know, all the awards are awarded correctly. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how it all goes. Very limited. It is just one of those truths about judging beer, is it? Because we, unlike um, my understanding of wine judging, beer judges don't spit. That's right. Uh, and they do a a you know, um, even though they've only got have small samples, um, when you are drinking um, quite a few of those throughout the day, um, just the inherent effects of alcohol do come into play. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it is very hard to keep nice, detailed notes um, when you are. Uh, so getting towards the, thing the end is of the you, day, so. you're still perceiving the same things and you're thinking the same things and you're putting the same things into words. It just takes a little bit longer and the handwriting is just a... Because each individual judge will still write down their uh, their their comments um, and then that's collated into uh, a, a table comment. So it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, transmogrified into um, a, a pricey, which is then typed in. To the uh, and thank God for spell check. I must admit that's my my job. The last couple of years has has been to uh, to enter the the comments and the and the scores. And uh, it's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. But as I say, it's it, it's just the professionalism and the um, the camaraderie and all that sort of thing. It's uh, and look, shout out to to anyone who's able to uh, join in as a, a volunteer steward. You know, give a, a couple of hours of your day either a morning session, an afternoon session, or, or both. Now that we've got a Saturday, um, you know, maybe some, that might suit some people, particularly if you, if you work in hospitality and can, uh, you know, a fairly organised sort of person. It's a, a great way to mix and mingle and, you know, meet these, you know, hero brewers and rock star brewers and, and the rest of us and to, you know, see and taste beers that you, you know, other people only dream about sort of seeing. You know, once you've had a Kazakhstan lager, you've just got that. You know, you're just a little bit above all of your mates to be able to say that. You know, you've you know you've tried a Chilean porter or something like that. So um, there's a I've posted on my Facebook uh, feed a uh, a shout out to um, anyone who's interested in becoming a, a volunteer. And I shared that to our Facebook page, and it, it, it it's one of those. You know, there there are those things that you really know you need to do and you really want to do. And you just can't, and it, it, there's always that niggling guilt that you carry because you're, yeah. you, 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 I'll you're, do it next year. This is one of those things, and it's you know, as I said, even just sort of trying to get through the stuff that I need to get done in in, in a day, um, just to maintain the 
how do we describe it? The hamster on the uh, on the treadmill on, yeah. on the treadmill that is the, the whole Australian Brews News um, thing. Um, yeah, and, and, and even that just keeps me uh, occupied full time. Well, so, this year, Matt, maybe I, you can help out with the CBIA, um, the Craft Beer Industry Association Awards. Absolutely, I'd, I'll be doing uh, something along those lines. Are you coming up to? We're coming up to Brisbane. Definitely. Is that June 2021 or July 2021? Sounds about right. Yeah, somewhere. So one, one of those. Absolutely. Um, so you, you might be able to help out as a um, as a steward up there. There you go. Absolutely. That, that's that actually that's a good way to do it because that's the thing. Just being down for the, the four or five days I have to for commitments I've got, trying to add a couple of extra. And I don't know how brewers do it to be honest, Prof. You know, it, it is it, it's it's one of those things that. I think a lot of people, when they look at how cool it would be to be a craft brewery, um, you know, they think, well, you know, I spend my days brewing beer and then, you know, I've got a brewery bar and I'll spend my evenings with yeah, a yeah. You know, affable bunch of regulars, you know, sharing beers and getting great great feedback. And, you know, and every now and then I'll go to a beer festival and, you know, pour my beers to, to people who haven't yet discovered it. And, you know, and one, it day, one day I'll ask to be asked, uh, you know, to, to judge at the World Beer Cup or the Australian International Beer Awards or, you know, one of those. All of that. But, you know, where do I fit it all in? But these small little breweries that, you know, where people joke about they're the truck driver, they're the delivery guy, they're the accountant, they're the, the, the brewer, the water washer, yep. all of that, and it's very true. And then they also have to stand um, – and, and when you are a very small brewery um, and you just see the number of beer events, you know, the beer festivals and every pub and every, you know, uh, town wants to have a beer week, all, all of which is fantastic, but they, they, they all get very surprised when the – um, brewery doesn't necessarily have the resources to spend the $300 for the stall and then have staff that are there to um, man, you know, and, man the stall yeah, for yep. every weekend because you know, I mean, it, it's hard enough just doing what you and I do and we don't have that level of commitment to, to then do these extra things and uh, as you, you said when currently we're being bombarded with all the tweets from the World Beer Cup and the Craft Rules Conference in the US and thinking well yeah, how, how do I get invited there? It's doing a lot of the giving up a lot of your own time um, and time that you could spend with your families to do the small little uh, events and the bigger events in Australia um, before you even get considered for an invite over there. That's right. So, mate, um, I, I don't know if we, 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 can we call it a regular segment? What has Prof been drinking this week? Well, no, that doesn't sound good. How about a, we could just say beer of the week? Beer of the week? Okay. I mean, that's, um, I know that's very generic and very boring and it's. It's probably not, you know, but, you know, hey, you know, maybe Radio Brews News, we need to, you know, drag ourselves kicking and screaming into the modern era, Matt. Well, we've, we've never been one of those podcasts where we sit around drinking beer partly because we're Unfortunately. Um, 1,800 miles away. Um, <laughs> although, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, I was going to say because that it's just the same distance between uh, Brisbane and Cairns and that still allows CUB to call Great Northern the beer, the beer from, from up, up here. here. Yeah. Even though... And, Chris uh, McNamara, who's the executive officer of the CBIA, apparently heard me make that claim on uh, a recent podcast. And, of course, being the anal retentive that he is. G'day, Chris. Love your work. Yeah. Um, actually punched it into Google Maps. And apparently Melbourne is 30 kilometres further from Brisbane than Kansas to Brisbane. Uh, uh, than Kansas to, uh, yeah. Um, Yatla is south, isn't it? So, do you actually do, he did Yatla? Well, it, I'm sure he did, but I, I, I know that I made the same. Um, I, I made the same. 
search. Um, and, and maybe maybe I did just uh, crow's flies thing. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to by road. I've got to tell you, um, though, Matt, over 3,600 kilometres, 30, 30, it, it's just not even statistical variance. That's close enough no. to saying it's a, it's the same. No, I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but somebody made a very good point of it's just like saying that you're, you're brewing a uh, beer in New Zealand and calling it, you know, sending it to Brisbane and saying it's the taste of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, but, but, so, but my point was we, we've never been one of those uh, podcasts that you and I sit around tasting beers and uh, waxing lyrically about it, but it, it does seem to have been one of those things just as we, because uh, listeners may not realise that, but this very amateur thing that we do is literally you and I phoning each other and having a chat and a, a bit of a catch-up around the interview that we that, that we actually do. So we... we I'm almost, say, I'm almost embarrassed to say, Matt, that I've, I've drunk far more coffee um, talking to you about beer than um, than I have drunk beer with you, I think. My disappointment is that I ran out of my nice stovetop coffee, uh, ground coffee for my stovetop this morning, and so I'm drinking Makona. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's such as you, our life. You, anyway, you neo-Brisbane hipster, you. <laughs> um, I, was, I was thinking of frothing my soy all the same. <laughs> But, uh, but Prof, yes, it, it does seem to have evolved that we are having a, an unofficial becoming official segment of what have we, what what have we, we drink this week. week? Yeah. So, so what have you had this week, Prof? Uh, look, I was very lucky. I had uh, a, a dad's um, beer tasting, beer and barbecue, you know, get together, a bit of a bonding session for, for the new dads at the primary school that uh, my youngest still goes to for another year in a start. And um, so I had to get some stock and... Uh, shout out to Scotty McBeardface, Scotty Thompson, who's the uh, the sales guy uh, for Bad Shepherd, and he delivered uh, some Wolf of the Willows and Bad Shepherd beer for me, uh, which included uh, my first taste of his um, the Bad Shepherd American style pale ale, two bottles of which had just he grabbed straight from the from the bottling line. So hashtag faff, and they were absolutely sensational. It's something I really need to try. I've actually had some more for the Willows turn up in the, today's mail, so I'll be trying that. But uh, I really, really want to try the um, Bad Shepherd while I'm in Melbourne for Good Beer Week. So uh, thanks for that recommended, Prof. Yeah. Mate, the, I tried. I finally got around to trying the Stone and Wood um, Big Scrub Lager. Um, and it, I, I'm that was my beer of the week. Two podcasts ago, I think. It was 100% in agreement with you, Prof. Um, you know. It's not going to blow anyone's mind in terms of flavour, but it is just a beautifully made, slightly hoppier than regular um, lager, but as Stone would do so nicely, uh, it's got a lovely malt profile to the lager, and yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was very nice. And did you, um, did you find that it's actually in the nuance? It's in the subtlety? It's in the fact that it's not big and bold, but if you kind of sip it and listen to it, there's just a beautiful melding of the, the malt and the hops um, that just seems to, it, it, you know, and the unfilteredness just gives it that little bit of extra flavour. Um, which Absolutely, I, yeah. Yep. Um, oh, look, I, I think that's the perfect description of it. And I, You'd almost, it, you'd almost it, say less is more. <laughs> some, some, particularly marketing people from Stone and Wood, might indeed say that, Pete. Um, but actually, and, and it is funny that increasingly I've noticed you and I the things that we're talking about, which I guess is the things that we note and the things that are exciting us, are the things that are fundamentally unexciting about, you know, in, in, in the true sense, the things that aren't huge and novel and, you know, um, 
uh, you know, fetish now fetish. Um, current so the, so the things that and I'm incredibly bored by the things that are solely out there purely to create hype and I- excitement because there is a you know I, I see a theme that's developing where there is almost a lack of originality in trying to be the most original guy out there so you know in, in the last week we've seen that belly button beer um, and it's created a lot of discussion a lot of interest and oh I've got to try the belly but I mean that that in itself you know, that idea has been done. It's been done by a brewer and his beard. And this is just a way of saying, what other body part can I extract yeast from to create, you know, it, it, it may be a really nice beer. I don't know. Um, and, and we should we're, give a quick shout out to uh, Doug Bremner, one of the guys from uh, one of the brewers down there at Seven Cent, who's, um, as we speak, uh, had his first bub this morning, a little girl called Madeline. So I suggested that perhaps he might want to do yeah, maybe a baby's first booger beer or, um, you know, try to, can you get yeast from, uh, I don't know, the swaddling cloths or the placenta or something. So. Mate, it, it, is that encouraging drinking in children? Well, so, oh. ah, yeah, see, yeah. Is, is that colouring in? Yeah, I see what I've done there. Yeah, I've just I've yeah. just done a bright colouring in sheet, haven't I? <laughs> so, but you know, and it's, 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 not, it's not actually, it. I, mean, I, I guess. I see what you mean, but I, 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 like, I still like, I, I don't have to like every beer that comes out or the concept of every beer that comes out. And I don't for a minute think that you and I are the guardians of, um, you know, everything that's righteous. Wash uh, your mouth it, out. Wash you know, your mouth yeah. out, Pete Mitchell. Because, every, you know, everyone's entitled to opinion. And I, I, I can't, you know, if I choose to, you know, be offended by a, an advertising gimmick or if I choose to be, you know, uh, feel excluded by, a, you know, a massively barrel-aged hop bomb beer that's just not for me. That, that's my choice. It's, you know, it's, it's, keep it to yourself. Um, but, I, well, but I think I think I love the fact that, again, where uh, we as a, as a community are standing up and saying we're different to, you know, the mainstream offering. Um, that's for some people and some people will never change and that's great. But for those who want something different, here's, a, here's an alternative. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I guess what's flavouring my um, view of that like is a bit. <laughs> um, what's flavouring my view, or what's colouring my view, is that as somebody who you know, works in the in, in the media, um, and you see it, and you see so many of these things are designed solely to create excitement. They're not actually, but, but they're, they're they're always put in the base. They're always put in the context of we are innovating, we're breaking new ground, we're doing something, which, which is fine. And, and I agree with you. Like if it's not if it's not for you, that's fine. But there is this whole other aspect of of brewing where um, everybody loves to hate on the big guys um, for their marketing, and you know, I'm guilty of that as well. When making a beer out of belly button yeast is not advancing the science of brewing in any way. It is a mar- it, is, it is the CUB or the Carlton Draft Clydesdales marching down the street of craft brewing. Um, and it, it, it's just a marketing, it, it's, a, it's a gimmick and it's a marketing gimmick. It's, it's not doing anything, you know, and, and it's appealing and, it, you know, and, and as with all good marketing, it appeals to a certain subset. subset. And look, but, if it gets, you know, mainstream, or if it gets column inches in, um, mainstream media, isn't that a good thing? I mean, we look at, um, think back to, gee, in fact, is it this time last year or was it the year before? 
um, Wade Curtis from um, Four Hearts up your way up in uh, Ipswich with his Wabbit mm-hmm. Saison. Um, and everyone wanted to know about this beer that was made with carrot. And I guess see, see, that was something that was it, 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 it was something that was a little bit different because it, it, it was an interesting ingredient to put in beer. Um, and, and I know that I'm right on the cusp, if I haven't fallen over already, of being a hypocrite on the matter. But there, there was something inherently um, interesting about you know the, fermenting the sugars in carrots and 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 what it did. And yeah, look, it, it was great. But when you start seeing at the um, end of the day, Matt, though, how how important is the the finished product. Like at the end of the day, the proof of the pudding is the pudding. So but, but with the beer made with it, was that was it? But what if the, the beer came, like wow, this has actually you know done something interesting. I'm not saying necessarily the belly button fluff is going to create. I know, but but, but and, and I guess as with everything, yeah, there's not there's not two sides of the coin. It's 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 a it's a long. Um, continuing a or something, a rhomboid. Oh no, but it, 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 it's just a. It's not black or white. It's probably a better way. There's you know very many shades of grey, and you know when, when you start seeing beers that are made out of bull seen, or you know bull testicles, deer Stag semen, semen yep. belly button fluff. But I don't um, think you can get semen from a deer. I think it needs to be a snake. Okay, okay I'll stack. Call thank you. On you. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you later. In, an, in the next episode, Pete tells Matt where babies come from. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so but you know, and we, we are starting to see you know like a, almost an arms race of people trying to be the most extreme, um, and, and and Gabs like Gabs celebrates that, and you know that there there is a place you know that, that there is. Oh look, oh, is it, is it symptomatic, oh, oh, Matt, oh, of the fact that now that we have close to three hundred and fifty breweries in Australia, but still very very narrow um, window of of marketing opportunity in, in terms of you know getting out to a, a mainstream crowd. Do are we invoking the creative spirit? Because um, uh, for a lot of these guys, they don't, uh, you know, craft brewing is not their their one single passion. You know, as, as we've seen in the past, a lot of people have other interests outside. Is, for the, so for those who are the creative thinkers, is this just a great way to kind of okay, I you know, what can what can I come up with to, um, you know, have my message heard above the the white noise and and and. and- that, that's a good. That, that's a good point. But you know, I, again, I guess some of it is genuinely creative and innovative, and some of it is just you know I'm going to create the most ex, you know um, hype-driven beer that I can, or you know, the, the most ridiculous thing that I think I can to to. And it, again, it, it's going to be very much um, an individual deciding. Um, but oh look at. I would just suggest people go and see um, a website just to throw a complete curveball in there go see a website called we want plates um, dot com and they're on facebook and that sort of thing and it's a site that celebrates in the most negative way um you, you know prof how there's been this um move away from plates to sh- um you know oh, <laughs> shingles and <laughs> slates and boards yeah. and, and so so this celebrates all of the nonsense that restaurateurs um have come up with, you know, including serving prawn cocktails in stiletto shoes, and um, you know because boards are suddenly very popular, and, and a board is perfect to serve cheese on, cheese and crackers. It's you know rustic and it's beautiful. It adds to that sort of experience and that sort of thing. But this site is just filled with pages and pages and pages of photos of restaurants serving frozen desserts on boards, <laughs> <laughs> just running off the side. 
um, and you know, and, and deconstruct where, where where something is deconstructed, like a deconstructed violet crumble, where you've got some beautiful chocolate, you've got some honeycomb, and you've got something else, um, yeah. and and it's arranged on the plate, and it looks beautiful, and and it works. But then one place is somebody because they wanted to be up with the fad <laughs> served deconstructed spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> so there is it's a jar of spaghetti beside a jar of mince. Did it have instructions? <laughs> well, you're sort of thinking. Um, okay. Parmesan sold separately. <laughs> when when there is consistency between the concept and the execution, I'm all for it. But you know, sometimes it just becomes a caricature and it does nothing to, and 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 it makes a mockery of the people who are actually trying to, um, you know, develop something and experiment. And 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 it's 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 at the point that it becomes a mockery. That to answer your question, is it good that we get column inches in mainstream media? There is actually a point that I think that it's not good because it reinforces. You know, that the, the, there is this mainstream view that. Craft beer is all about fads, and and this term hipster, yeah, and, and that it's inaccessible uh, to normal people. That it's inaccessible, yeah. and and I think when you start seeing these ridiculous things, it tars the whole movement, because the which goes back to the very the first thing that we started was the um, big scrub and how balanced it was, and it was the nuance and those sorts of things that got us excited. And I think that's why I'm celebrating some of those sorts of things. But unfortunately, when you get to the extreme ed, edge of the, you know, hype-driven marketing gimmicks. That that actually has a potential to um, make craft beer seem a little bit inaccessible. Just like not all wine sommeliers are, you know, pompous tossers who terrify anybody um, and judge you for, for for your drink. They're actually passionate about educating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the common perception of wine can make wine inaccessible. But to to, to move on to a completely different, um, I did have another beer that I tried that I actually wanted to talk about, um, and that was a white rabble, the white, white rabbit. Not white rabbit. The white rabbit barrel-aged red. I need to try and speak. I know that we've uh, been chatting for a little bit um, in our unscripted uh, chat, and I just wanted to quickly have a chat about this one. Have you tried the white rabbit red, Prof? No, I haven't. And just in case they are listening, I do notice they do, you know, I'm, I'm around the corner. You know, I'm actually quite, probably equidistant to where white rabbit was born and, and where it now resides, and yet they send samples to you all the way to Brisbane. Just saying, I'm just putting it out there. And I'm pretty sure James Atkinson got sent a bottle as well. Oh, so, oh, so it gets to Sydney as well. All right. Well, I guess they need to sort of work out who in the publication. You know, not everyone can get one. Every player can't no, win that, a prize. No, that, that, that's right. And, and you get to tour. I have actually gone out and I have bought one, so I just haven't had it yet. So tell us, well, what am I expecting? Well, I look forward to, to seeing it, but um, I was very excited about it and I'm straight away checking my feelings about it in light of that excitement because I was lucky enough to go down for the open of the White Rabbit. I love what they're doing. I love the venue. It is such a it is such a celebration of the art of brewing and the open fermenters create all of this talk and I love everything that they're trying to do down there. But I guess I I was very underwhelmed by the beer because when you when you hear about a barrel aged um, red Flanders ale, you've you've got expectations based on what the style is. And instead of giving my description, um, I, I saw that Crafty Pint put in his newsletter last week that this is the longest beer review that he's ever written for the Crafty Pint site. Um, and when you read it, you're reading one, two, three, four, five paras before you even get to the beer, because the rest of it is about the barrel aging program and all of the stuff that is the, the, the marketing-driven thing. Yep. So you're telling the story of it, and then you get to, well, what's it like? 
Well, the elements you'd be looking for in a Flanders red-style ale are there, but kept in check so as not to scare people off. After all, the White Rabbit audience is rather is rather less pointy-end for the most part than, say, fellow barrel room operator Boat Rocker. There are hints of acetic acid amid the fruit, uh, the full toffee aromas, some red bellies, uh, berries, plus a drying acidity and a touch of funk at the finish, while in between comes plenty of soft creamy malts redolent of the dark ale. Now, to me, that was a very balanced thing, but it's almost an apology um, if it was written in another way, or if you were going to paraphrase that, you're saying this is dumbed down for the masses. Okay. Would you agree? Well, 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 yeah, no, would you I'll, agree I'll, with I'll that just, Yeah, I've just, I've just uh, pulled it up again because I, I started reading it and then ran out of time over the weekend. Um, so I've just Before pulled up. Before you even got to the, 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 the review. Yeah, pulled up Crafty's um, review now. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, is it kind of saying, because as soon as you hear, you know, barrel-aged, Flanders-style red, you're going, okay, so Rodenbach yep. is, is, is my... Um, Duchess de Burgoyne, which is even, you know, malt vinegar. Um, uh, then... You're automatically thinking, uh, you know, okay, so what's my measuring stick? Okay, so yep. so if you're drinking it compared to, um, you know, a, a beer like Rodenbach that's, you know, um, housed in, in a, a cellar full of, of furters, um, you know, timber... Um, uh, vats. Mm. Uh, is, is that unfair to the beer, or is it? Is there a reasonable expectation that this will be an homage to Rodenbach, rather than hinting at what that style is? Yeah, and, 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 dare we say a, a, a gateway beer to Rodenbach? Like, is it is it an introductory sour? But I guess, and, and, and that's the question, and, and most of the discussions that you and I have and most of the things that I say, whilst it sounds like I'm making a statement, I'm actually asking questions out loud, mm. and I, I'd love to hear the feedback, and sometimes I make a statement because that's where my mind is at the moment, but I'm much less definite because I'm wanting, you know, arguing is a sport or discussion is a sport for yeah. me that, you know, yeah. you know, when ideas meet together, um, as you know, Prof, and that's where I'm at the moment, I'm, and we're speaking to Jeremy next week. So this is something that I'm sort of trying to get my head around how to ask this question because when you are coming at a a barrel-aged Flanders red ale, is there a point in making a approachable version of that style? Yeah, because barrel-aged Flanders red light. Yeah. What is the point of making a barrel-aged sour beer if you're not going to make it, if you're going to mute all of the characters that make that style the style that it is. Do you, do you, do you understand well, that I distinction? Think, I think James makes a, a very valid point in that Boat Rocker almost, you know, made its bones on on barrel aging and, um, you know, that, that style of, of beer so they can then kind of springboard off that. So if they were to do a, a Flanders-style red out of barrels, you would expect it to be uh, of a certain weight. Mm. If a brewery is just introducing a barrel program as part of their, you know, what has been a, uh, an interesting and, and uh, very different style of core range beers, do they, are they not expected to, to jump to the, the same level? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just throw at you, um, you know, Little, uh, little Little Creatures, which is the White Rabbit sister brewery. Um, little Creatures Pale Ale. 
is an American style pale ale. They didn't dumb it down. Like it's not a dumbed down American no, pale no, ale. No. It is a solid American pale ale. Their IPA is, I think, one of the best IPAs. It's balanced, sure, and you and I have been critical of a lot of brewers who make cartoonish versions of classic styles and really exaggerate. Oh, Look at it's got to be sour. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or sour beers. Yeah, roadbark's fine, but let's see whether it's un- we can make it undrinkably sour. <laughs> so so we can, a if we can curl your tongue and your earlobes. And if you drink it, that you pass the test to the sort of secret world of beer geeks. You're worthy of us, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and we're very critical. You know, we have been in the last podcast of that sort of cartoonishness. But then I look at Little Creatures and you know, their IPA is bang on what my view of a, a beautifully balanced but you know, very hoppy IPA should be. Um, and for Little Creatures Pale Ale, they appreciated that Little Creatures Pale Ale wasn't for everybody, but they didn't dumb down an American-style Pale Ale. They, they didn't make it less bitter. They didn't make it less challenging. They sort of say, come on, people that want to drink American Pale Ale's drink our dumbed-down version, they kept that. And then they introduced beers like Brydale, which was an entry level to beers with a bit of hops and a little bit of, but, you know, much lower. More neutral. Yeah. Here, yeah, here they haven't sort of said, uh, you know, we'll just barrel-age our dark ale to, to do it. They, they've come out and sort of said, you know, we've got this barrel-aging program. They've made a big thing of it. We're going to be doing sour beers. We're going to be playing around. We're going to experiment. We're going to push limits. And, and that was the way that was sold when we came out. And I don't – and then they've come out with something that is really a shadow of the style that they're purporting it to be. Um, yeah. And and if you're going to do a style, um, you know – I, I take your point about gateway beers and encouraging people in and, and those sorts of things, but are there some styles that you just have to? You either do the style or you don't. Don't, don't you? Don't do the style and don't. Yeah. So, but yeah. Well, so I don't know, with, uh, with this particular one, and, and we're probably not the people. You know, you and I are not the ones to ask each other. Um, but adding grapes to the barrel, you know, a standard beer, then adding grapes and then using the you know the the yeast that's on the the grape must to mm-hmm. sour and acidize the beer. Is that the same way that Rodenbach does it? I, I, I don't know. I didn't honest. think it was. I, I thought Rodenbach was a was a, a yeast strain added. And I, I, I think you know, it may well be. You know, oh, you're right there. Yeah. Mouse knocking my mouse off as I was mouse off as I was gesturing wildly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, you know who we should ask? Who? Well, Jeremy Hulse. Okay. He brews the beer. Yeah, I know. Well, but as I said, Prof, I, oh, it was sorry, a beer I, I tried this week. So, so, oh, yeah, no, no, and, and we will. But uh, I'm just letting you know, Prof, I might need your help to, you know, some, sometimes I can be a little bit less tactful than I probably need to be. <laughs> and, and, and this is those ones where it's not, you know, it, it could easily come across as you've done this beer down, which is an expression that I really hate. You know, I, I really hate people when they say it. But then again, I'm... When I read Crafty's, um, you know, very supportive but apologetic, how I read is an apologetic description of the beer, it sounds like that's just another way of saying this is an entry-level beer, which means that you've taken a style and dumbed it down to let people who maybe, you know, aren't, you know, it's a training wheels beer for people who aren't quite ready for the style. And I sort of wonder whether, whether you know, do you then call it the style? If, if you have made a very tepid version of the style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 
I'm very conscious that all of that sounds very insulting. So I might need you to, I, I might need you to sort of get me through the interview without I'll, actually. I'll just uh, tighten the rein just a little bit. Just. Yeah. Yeah. All right, done. Because it's because you know me, prop. It's not like it's. It, it's just my lack Sometimes of. Sometimes you only open your mouth filter. to change feet. No, well, no, but it's. I, I, that's the point I want to make, and I don't know how to ask that question without actually asking the question. So maybe you know, is, is it, we, we've got a, a, a bit of time before we uh, speak to Jeremy for next week's podcast. So maybe you can sort of help me phrase that in a way that. All right, we'll work on it. But okay, anyway. Meanwhile, so, today's guest. Yeah, um, there's been a bit of discussion um, over the last couple of weeks about McCracken's Ale and some of the stuff that uh, you know. We've had some back and forth with Ale of the Time about the beer and those sorts of things. But as, as we try and do, rather than just um, inject a lot of a, a opinions without any fact, um, we try and get the people on who whose beers we're talking about. So today we've got Scotty Vincent, who we've had on a couple of times before, um, to talk uh, about McCracken's Ale. But um, we, we started by um, something I touched on last week that I found uh, um, Matilda Bay... Redback, sorry, um, Matilda Bay Redback on tap recently, really enjoyed it and couldn't work out why it wasn't more available. So uh, we had a bit of a chat to Scotty about Matilda Bay before we got on to the development of the McCracken's Ale. Scott Vincent, welcome back to Radio Brews News. This must be, gee, this must be the third time we've chatted. Yeah, it could be. It's been a while, though. I think that gets you official, according to Prof, that gives you official friend of the show status. Lovely. Yeah, friend of the Friend of the program once you've been on three times. That's the rule. Fantastic. Although everybody's a friend of ours. Uh, it is true. And, and listen, I think it's probably the first time we've spoken to Scotty since he's taken on his new role, I think, because the last time we spoke to you would have been as the um, uh, the titular head of, uh, of Matilda Bay out at uh, Birdie Street in Port Melbourne. That's correct, yeah, it would have been, yeah. But you are still head brewer for Matilda Bay. I guess it's more of a nominal position these days. That, that's absolutely right, fellas. So... Um, I'm, I think I think my title is uh, Beverage Innovation Manager uh, for CUB as well as Head Brewer Matilda um, Bay. But as you're aware, um, uh, we no longer um, have the premises at Port Melbourne. So most of the time these days I'm uh, relying on, like I still make the brews and all the rest of it, but I rely on the, the very capable brewers that are in our group to uh, help me uh, produce the beers that we want to produce. So why beverage innovation head as opposed to beer uh, innovation head does that have a wider yeah um... yep. exactly you nailed it in one yeah so i've got a um, so also we also look at ciders we look at spirits and uh and um as well as beef so you're developing uh the the, the spirit range as well yes yep that's right yep uh, tell us a little bit about new products or just the some of the the, the rtd um Products. So that's been very interesting. Um, it's been some new products, which if you uh, watch your shelf space shortly, you might see pop up. I can't say too much more about them, but uh, there'll be something appearing very shortly. Um, and um, and the same with spirits. We're we're having a look at uh, you know the the uh, raw spirits. It's quite an interesting um, an interesting new area for me to actually get involved in. Um, whiskey and bourbon and, and that sort of thing. So that's all, it's always nice to do something different and be challenged a bit, and that's what that's doing for me. Now, now Scotty, just to put us out of our misery, please tell us it's not a, an extension of the uh, the Yak family. It's not like Yak Daniels and Cola or something, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I might steal that, mate. <laughs> 
Yeah, Daniels. No, no, I can definitely guarantee that. I can't say much, but I can say that it's not. That's not what it is. It's not Yak Daniels. <laughs> so, in terms of Matilda Bay, is is yep. Fat Yak? I guess now seen as a almost a separate, you know, uh, brand, and then Matilda Bay, Bay. Is, yeah, is is the other beers. Yeah, that's 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 correct, and uh, there'll be I think um, a little bit more coming on that very shortly. Um, so it appears at the moment that um, we were asked by the business to to really promote the yaks, and we've done that. And I think we've done a pretty good job in the in the last uh, year of, of with Lazy. That's been a great success for us. Um, but uh, Matilda Bay hasn't uh, disappeared. It's still there, and it still plays an important role. And um, yeah, I think you'll guess you'll see um, some of that start to come into fruition. She. But how different is Lazy Yak to Itchy Green Pants, for example? Yeah, okay, so good question. So um, the difference that we got challenged by the business was to a lot of our customers have said, um, you know, both personally to me and, and then to the wider businesses, we love um, we love what you've done with, you know, IGP and Ruby and, and all those styles of beer. In fact, Yak, it's still growing amazingly. But there, there was the area that they said a lot of people are coming in and just find, um, you know, the beers either too uh, bitter or too fruity. And so we were challenged with trying to present um, a product that could meet that need. And so that's what, you know, where Lazy kind of fills the gap. Now, it's not for everyone, but um, it is definitely a, a big part of the beer market where people are kind of doing that transition from traditional styles of beer and they're moving across or they're introducing themselves in, into craft. And, and but big hobby beers are a little bit challenging for them, so that's what the that's what Lazy's trying to address is that transition process. I, I commented um, on Facebook recently. I was in Sydney and uh, I found Redback on tap, and I'd, I'd have to say that I got probably more excited than I should have uh, to see it because it was the very first craft beer that I can remember having way back in 1988. Um, back in the days of uh, Alan Bond and uh, that sort of uh, character, and it was really nice to sit on tap. We, we don't see many of those original um, Matilda Bay beers, and by, by that I mean probably uh, Redback, Dog Bolter and Alpha um, out very much. Is there still a focus on those beers? There are. Um, I, did, I did, as you know, we, I saw that post, uh, and I was pretty excited too. It was a good point you brought up. It, it, Redback was the beer that really started um, craft kind of, um, you know, the craft brewing process for a lot of us. Uh, I remember I, I, I have exactly the same sort of fond memories in Sydney uh, when I first had a Redback and it was the beer that kind of, you know, changed my perceptions of what beers can be. Um, so, yeah, so I was, I was very uh, quick to respond to that one. But um, in terms of the question, yeah, it, they are made. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Alpha is, is we still recognise it as being one of the greatest beers we've made, um, but um, it is difficult to find, um, and that's because of that, I think, uh, beer that's loved by brewers, beer that's loved by beer writers and journos and all the rest of it, but um, in the general public, you know, with a bitterness of 55, it, it's uh, a challenging beer for a lot of people, and so, you know, even when we were at the garage, we, we never made a lot of it. Um, but it was made well and uh, used to do very well for us. Redback's still made. Um, 
And uh, so is dog bolter, but once again, um, dark bears aren't, aren't as big as, um, as we'd like them to be, or I think they deserve to be. So they're a bit tricky to find sometimes. Bow Pills isn't being made anymore? No, Bow Pills is one of the, uh, unfortunately, one of the ones that we um, stopped making when we closed Port Melbourne. Mate, why is it? And I take your point that, you know, CUB you know, obviously targets the, the, the broadest part of the um, craft market. No, sorry, the, the broadest part of the beer market generally. And the, the craft is, you know, a, a niche. And even within that niche, there are sort of less significant, uh, you know, niches. Um, but, but even so, we do see, um, you know, beers with 45 and 50 um, IBUs, you know, finding a place. And even breweries like... Uh, Stone Wood have recently brought out, you know, a fairly bold um, IPA, and there, there are, um, you know, beers, uh, um, uh, Hop Hog, for example, another another beer that's sort of in in that alpha pale ale. They seem to manage to get out there. Um, what's the difference between, you know, CUB selling the Matilda Bay? 50 IBU beer and a, a craft brewery selling a 50 IBU beer that makes them able to seem to sort of get you know more tap, tap points than CUB is able to. Um, yeah, I think it's it, at the end of the day, it's their point of difference, really, isn't it? And I tend to agree with it. It's um, as you said, there's niches within niches in the marketplace, um, and one of the one of the great things about you know, craft beer is that it allows smaller guys to actually get into the market with fantastic styles of beers. You know, you, you mentioned a great one, the Hop Hog. Uh, and so that's that's what I think it is. It's, it's the fact, I guess, um, not to be too boring a, a point, but it's, I guess it's a business model that everybody comes with. You need that point of difference. Um, and so by making great styles of beer and, and different ones, it allows smaller players to actually come up with that point of difference and so that that becomes their business model is that they make these styles of beers they become famous for them and allows it to uh, to grow as their business um i think with cuv where it's a it's a bigger model it's a different model it's a different business model and so that's the one they're exploiting it's not that they're ignoring it it's just that um you know they have a different focus mm. so yeah no it, it's you know as somebody who sits outside the sort of marketing meetings and the sales meetings and the the, the brewers meetings of CUB, you know, we can only sort of uh, look at what's happening in the market and try and guess what's going on. But um, it, yeah, and it's mm. because I think Prof and I both very much love the Matilda Bay brand, and I would hold up the, the core Matilda Bay range uh, against just about anyone um, in in Australia, mm. and it, it, it's almost a source of disappointment that it doesn't um, you know get you know wider coverage in the market or wider distribution in the market? Yeah, so it's it's definitely there. I guess it's, um, it's I guess at the end of the day though, it's um, uh, it, it, it represents a proportion of our business and uh, while the business is very keen and supports it, it's, um, it doesn't have, um, say, the marketing budget of some of the other brands and, and uh, that's kind of, I guess, I guess the difference. Um, when you're a smaller group and you, you focus on, you know, that, that one brand where CUB is a larger group and it focuses on its what it calls its core brand. So, yeah, so it's still it's still there. It's still very much part of yeah. the business. It just just has a different focus. Like those beers, I was actually up in Brizzy last week, uh, actually while you were in Sydney, and um, um, I was at the Plough, and you know I managed to enjoy a Ruby, which was tasting amazing there. So the beers are still around. IGP was on tap, and so it's still still there and out and about. 
and uh, it's definitely enjoyable. Yeah, no, and, and uh, you know, I'd sort of look at. Um, I mean, Lion seems to push out um, the uh, Little Creatures IPA, and also um, the, the the Squires Hop Thief, both of which are, uh, are fairly bold beers. Um, and and I just would have, would have thought that Alpha would have sort of tackled them, you know, head on quite nicely. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I think they do. Um, and it's just a case of then uh, swinging around, um, you know, the sport behind those style of beers and which I think will be coming with the business. It's just a case of uh, at this year was we focused on the yaks and, and made great success with something like Lazy. So. Mm. Yeah, um, and mate, the, the reason we wanted to get you on to we just sort of uh, disappeared down that hole because uh, we were talking about the by way of introduction, but we wanted to talk to you about the McCrackens, mm. the McCrackens Amber Ale. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that because, you know, it, it seems to have been launched fairly quietly. There's not been media releases uh, go out, it just seems to have quietly uh, you know, dropped on tap with a minimum of fuss. Um, tell us a little bit about it. So it's, um, as you might actually know, McCrackens is one of the original groups that were um, brought together that became CUB. Uh, it's one of what we call our heritage brands. Um, so we got the opportunity a couple of years ago to do um, McCrackens and um, it, got, it was responded to quite well. Um, and so it came around again. And um, I've got the opportunity to um, have another, if you pardon the pun, another crack at it, um, taking some of the feedback on um, so that we got from our, our customers. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we relaunched um, we relaunched this uh, beer brand and, um, and, and see how it goes. So it's, it's actually launched down in Victoria at the moment only. So it's an amber ale, um, lovely kind of multi-flavours that are coming through with the toffee and biscuits. Uh, from the different malts that we're using. And um, it's got a lovely kind of hop, light hop note there that works really well for us. And I'm very pleased with the way it tastes and pours. It's, it's uh, yeah, good little good little product and lots of fun to make too. Scotty, for those perhaps familiar with the old Rooftop Red, which I know was a, a, an amber mm. lager, but how, yeah. how, how, would, it, how would it compare, um, you know, I guess sort of uh, depth-wise and strength-wise and, you know, balance-wise, that sort of thing? Yeah, so I think it's it's in that category. Of course, one's a lager, one's an ale. Um, so I think the the amber is a little bit um, uh, an interesting category because it is it's so it's so much driven by the malt characters, and, and that's what one of the things about making beers is it's usually nice to be able to play with some of the different. Sometimes allowing in each of the brands, allowing one of the ingredients to speak. So and this one's been quite an interesting with the ale, with this amber ale as opposed to the the lager was. What we've allowed to do is we've just allowed the fruitiness of the ale yeast to, to kind of make its presence felt. But it also balances really nice with the other part of the triangle, which is the malt, and so you get beautiful toffee notes. And um, so it's similar in terms of it was similar to rooftop bread in, in the style of malts we use, although the grist is different. But uh, it still has those beautiful hues and colours and multi toffee notes that come through and biscuity kind of characters. But then it's it then the third part of the triangle on this one, which is really nice, is the, is the hops, uh, and that 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 kind of balances it really well. So it's it's a, a different it's a different style of beer in, in base style, but then it has similar elements of it. Um, and so yeah, so I guess is that, is that the best way to answer your question? I think yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's just because so, I, I figured that there'd be people who would have 
Um, a lot of the ambers now seem to be more in the kind of American amber style where they're, they're quite aggressively hopped yep. um, and, yep. and firmly yep. bitter. And I, I knew mm. it wasn't in, in that sort of thing. No. So Rooftop Red was kind of, a, I guess, a colour and a, a depth and a, a weight, if you like, that, mm. Um, mm. that I thought it, it was probably similar to. So just interesting to get the, the take on, on – um, because I can imagine a few, you know, rusted-on VB blokes walking into the – you know the um, the Union Club Hotel, and oh, I'll give that McCracken's thing a try, and and, mm. and having it come out to them, you know, as it's pouring, they'd be thinking this is this is a stout, you know, compared to, to what I'm used to. So <laughs> oh, I don't like these dark yeah, beers. I don't like dark beers. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've had, uh, I've had I've come across that uh, as I'm sure you both have uh, a few times in our tastings. But you're mentioning about that is I generally though once um, a punter has a chance to actually uh, appreciate what you're trying to do as a brewer, I generally find, and I guess you're the same, you, you find that that, you can, that opinion to a large majority actually turns and people go, wow, this has actually got amazing flavour and profile. And, and it may not be their go-to beer, but you can, once you explain to people what you were trying to do and what that in, set of ingredients actually delivers to the person, then people I find are very receptive to that. And, and yeah, it may not be, you're right, it may not be... Uh, yeah as big as they be, it may never will be, but it, it also gives people a great opportunity to choose something different. From a marketing or from a, I guess, from a, a, a brewery brand point of view, is it at all important that, you know, McCracken's may not have actually ever made, you know, that particular recipe or a beer of that particular colour that was also hoppy or whatever? Is it is it more just about saying, look, you know, CUB used to be all these little, you know, city-based, Carlton-based, um, you know, Fitzroy, Collingwood-based breweries who all kind of got together, and this is a... Mm. a a harking back because we we sort of fielded a bit of uh, criticism over, you know, it's a, it's just marketing. It's not really a but but if it was just marketing, it would have been like the old um, uh, you know Abbott's Lager that came out a little while ago, or the um, uh, what was the other one, Ballarat Bitter, which was just a it was a you know ten overs none for forty mainstream lager with a yep. an old an old label on it kind of thing. I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah so. Yeah, I, I, it's always a um, it's always a dilemma. So there's, I guess, there's two ways to look at it from my point of view as a brewer. The first one is um, it's always great to be given a brief to say, you know, um, how would you make a new beer? That's kind of the exciting bit. That's the bit that really attracts me to to, to brewing, um, overcoming those problems and putting those flavours together. So there's, from my personal point of view, it's great to be actually say, here's a here's a brand, this is what we want to do, and can you make something um, a little bit different, um, but it meets these kind of broad guidelines and principles. And that, so that, that's just from a personal point of view, and generally how these projects kind of pull together. Specifically to your question is, quite often, if we've had um, the opportunity to have a look at these recipes, and the aim is to actually say, you know, we're going to make um, 500 kegs or 1,000 kegs of a recipe as it was made on this day, um, you know, 200 years ago or 100 years ago or something like that, when it first, you know, we first made it, um, then that's great. Quite often when you look at these recipes, um, you know, it, it's quite interesting um, reading between the lines of what the old brewers and what people have said about them. So you've got malt coming in from England. Um, you've got variable quality on that malt. Um, Australian, I think uh, I think you could agree with me when you read the historical books. Beer in Australia in those days wasn't great. You know, it 
was it was uh, castigated quite widely. And it was much like well, they talked tough. about the colonial tang. They talked yeah. about that colonial tang yeah. that came Murphy through. Swipes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And as a microbiologist, I'm pretty certain I know what that is. Um, <laughs> and it's not good. <laughs> well, it, yeah, but it's not good. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, and then you look at how do you get around that? Well, as we kind of know, the great thing about hops is it's kind of a biostatic agent. It does reduce or control to a certain extent other things growing lactics and other bits and pieces of ground beer to give it that interesting tang as we call it um so when you look at some of these recipes the the bitterness of these beers were amazing Uh, you know 60 and 70 um and so it it can be challenging to kind of say i'm going to put this beer out so there's generally interest there is interest in in having all of these recipes but quite often um, as a commercial type of priority when you talk to your customers um, and, and that's what we we found with McCracken's. Like we launched it in about 2013 out of the garage again, and, and it had a bitterness of about 37, I think it was. Um, quite a nice brew, actually, quite a lovely brew. And um, but the feedback we got was a little bit chewy, fellas. Uh, people kind of like loved the idea and were very excited about it, but were generally, um, you know, they had one beer. Going back to the Union Hotel story, and they kind of went, "Oh, it's a bit much." So. So what we did this time around is we kind of said, well, let's let's learn from that feedback and, and try and take the elements that we can take from it, and 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 then um, and then but try and get something that people will, people will enjoy and, and have a crack, and and we'll just keep applying it. So there's two ways to do it. The one way is I'm going to make it exactly to the recipe and come what may, um, as a you know an exercise in we found the old recipe um, and we've done that. Well, the other way is is exactly as you said. Is that let's let's take a great classic brand that people have forgotten or never knew that this is the history of CUB and we're pretty proud of that history. Um, and, and let's make people a little bit aware of it. The problem is when you do something different, you always open yourself up to criticism, but that's okay. Um, uh, you know, just, is the reality, um, Scott, that back, yeah, back, back in the day, those guys without the, the access to, to the lab and the scientific um, you know, technology that we have today, that the recipe you know, may have been written out but each brew may have been tinkered with and, and uh, developed slightly and, and modified as they went along anyway? Or, or is there evidence that, no, that's the way it is and, we'll, you know, we just keep making it that way? So, well, I, I, always, um, recipes always tend to um, vary as, as times go on. So over a period of time, there will be a change in recipe as um, ingredients change. So I guess in the early days, most of the most of the the barley would have been coming in from England. It would have been Narasota, I guess. But then, as that, as over the years, as that phased out of um, use and different, more uh, say more um, or better, sorry, um, varieties in terms of uh, agronomics uh, came through, then the malt would have changed. So therefore, the brewers would have had to change the malt <clears throat> and deal with the on-flowing effects of how that affected their brew house and their process. So there's always like a drift in terms of the way the the, the recipes go, and you're right to a large extent. Um, the pe- the more you know, the more you can control. So, and that's the double-edged sword. You know, it's quite it's quite good fun as a home brewer just to kind of go, I'm throwing this much sugar, and I'm throwing it this much malt, and I'm throwing it this much hops, and the beer kind of tastes as it does, and you know, you're not really that concerned with it. But then as you start to, you know, get a little bit more um, technical and start measuring it all, then you start to say, okay, well, now I know that I have to adjust the malt for every season so it changes. Or yeah. <clears throat> every time a batch changes, the same with the bitterness. So there would have been effect of both. Uh, as they started to discover more and, and the you know the technology 
left ahead of them, then they would have changed and would have become better at it. So the recipe would have changed and then and they would have changed as well. And that brings an interesting point, Scott, because we tend to think that, you know, beers like, you know, Forex Bitter or VB, you know, taste today the way they did 25 years ago. Mm. And um, there, there is a little bit of, you know, not wholesale um, throwing out the, the baby in the bathwater and starting again. But there, I, I would imagine that there is a little bit of you know, ongoing tweaking of the recipes. And these days, uh, beer drinkers tend to like a, a less bitter, crisper beer than probably you know a generation ago did. And I mean, is there a little bit of skewing of, of these um, flavours to chase uh, an adapting palate? Um, You've actually hit like you hit a really uh, good point, I guess, in in, <clears throat> in the business of brewing. Um, and from my point of view, I have a, a simple philosophy on that. We, we've got you know classic, great Australian drinks, uh, Carlton Draft in Victoria. You know, it's just every pub you walk into, you can grab a, a Carlton on tap. Uh, VB. You know, I grew up drinking VB as a young guy. Um, and um, and I guess as the palate changes, then I think the best way to do that is actually to have brands that go after the variation in um, in the change in, in the dynamic in the marketplace. So, you know, we see brands like Great Northern um, doing absolutely wonderful things. Uh, you know, so <clears throat> and and Forex is growing and, and brands like those. So you can see that. And I remember in Sydney because um, I've been fortunate that I started at the Kent Brewery and then. I moved to Queensland when we did that. And, and I remember in Sydney, um, you know, we didn't drink uh, mid-strength beer at all. It just wasn't done, you know. And um, I remember when I moved to Queensland, I remember I'd, the way my house was set up uh, quite fondly, actually. You know, you drive in the garage uh, and it just so happens that the beer fridge would be there. I don't know how that works. In the garage, yeah. You know, so you park, park the it, car and think, oh, well, I'm here. <laughs> So, Everyone in Queensland is nodding along to this story. Yeah, <laughs> so you'd, you'd, you'd grab a grab a cleansing, uh, a cleanser on the, on the way on the away steps. to the pretty much, <laughs> uh, and uh, um, straight into the house. And uh, and somehow or other, it was uh, um, a smaller bottle than the uh, uh, than I'm used to uh, because it'd be empty pretty quickly um, up there when it was thirty something degrees a little. And um, and I remember I remember thinking to myself, um, you know. I suddenly understood why mid-strength was such uh, such a popular product because you know you, you could you could have quite a few and still you know uh, cut the lawn and do the other bits and pieces or, or, or not be affected by it when you're drinking a full-strength beer and and all my mates when they turned up they said yeah, what are you doing drinking you know this Carlton mid stuff you know it's not a full-strength beer and and then they kind of got onto it because it was a lifestyle type choice you had uh, you know you had plenty going on you're outdoors all the time you're in the sun. And during the mid-strength made perfect sense. Um, whereas in Sydney, they didn't quite get it because it was a different lifestyle, a different temperature, and all the rest of it. And so, as the um, as the market kind of changes, then you need to make up a product or make a brand that, that people you know enjoy and like. And that's why you start to see you know, uh, Great Northern taking off and Carlton Dry and all those sort of things. But it's still at the still at the same time, you still got many many drinkers and many very loyal drinkers that really love. You know, full strength beers and add a higher bitterness and all those sort of things. So you want to maintain the integrity of that product as well, and and, and try and do so. Oh, it's it's. Inter- I mean, it's interesting to hear you say it because I, when you see, and I've just have dug up a quote um, that came out a few years ago when Forex uh, brought out their special brew. This goes back to about two thousand and eight. 
and when they were launching it, you know, the the rationale for doing it was that you know um, uh, the brewer back then or the marketing director uh, head brewer. Um, back then said, I can still remember the original Forex, which had a lot more bitterness and bite than the beer we have today. You know, and it was talking about, you know, there has been, a, you know, just over time, and it, it's never in a noticeable uh, amount, but it's, I, I remember somebody once describing, describing, you know, a recipe changes and changes and changes ever so slowly that you don't actually, it, it's like boiling a frog. You know, the, the temperature keeps going up slowly um, that he doesn't actually notice it. And then suddenly, you know, he's, he's boiled. Um, you, there hasn't been a you know just a a, a slight uh, change in some of the mainstream beers. I'm not sort of asking you to sort of call out any in particular, but there hasn't been a little bit of a, a, a tweaking of the bitterness or the sort of mouthfeel of some of the, the mainstream beers to as tastes do ever subtly change. And then you've almost got the quantum shift in flavour, which goes to the, the the beers like Great Northern, which is for the you know people who want a complete jump. Um, in, in change of flavour. So I think it's been well documented in the past that when we've tried to do major changes, that really hasn't uh, been well received by the marketplace. Um, and so when SOB bought us out, so we changed the BB back to, to what it was. Um, generally, with the, I think the main changes that you do, and it's kind of forced upon you, is uh, dealing with the change in ingredients as you know malts um, vary over the time. And one of the so as you get you know new varieties of malt approved because through the, the the malting system because they grow better or they're you know better drought tolerant or they're greater resistance or you, you just get a, a greater you know yield per hectare you know which is important for the farmers um, uh, that in itself um, changes the um, in in a very subtle way it changes the way you need to maintain your beer specs and so that. So the big thing that I've noticed, I've been with with CUVs, is that unless we've, you know, as I said, squarely been documented when we changed the alcohol on PC, but the biggest thing that I noticed is that it's a it's an ongoing, you know, challenge every day for a brewer, um, every brewer in the, in the country, is to to make sure that they're trying to make the beer meet the specifications that they do, um, and it's and so what you you've got a series of numbers that you try and hit every time you make that brew, and and so. Well, generally, that's what our aim is to do. There are ongoing, um, you know, changes in in malt quality. The, one of the noticeable examples is, you know, if you've got a drought, your malt quality will change because of, you know, at the end of the day, you're buying malt from all around Australia, and generally, you can offset that sometimes if you've got malt in a, one region that's growing well. Um, at the last drought, of course, the entire country was affected by it, so that does affect. In some way, sometimes it's a very small way, and you can offset it uh, by the way you brew a beer. Um, but generally, the aim is to try and try and make that change as small as possible, or as small that you can notice it. And, and once again, as you know, you're a, you're a judge as well. The aim is to in your tasting panels is to make sure that your your beer does actually stay within a certain range, um, so that people are enjoying it because they do like the consistency of that flavour, and you don't really want to make it. Major change because then you'll upset your, your customers and your consumers. You talked a little bit about mid-strength beer, um, which is something that, uh, you know, not, not wanting to sort of go into uh, us and them, but Lion has brought out their um, Han, which is less than a percent, one um, percent, and that seems to be a. On one hand, I was very surprised because the old days, light beers never 
you know, we, we found a sweet spot for mid-strength beers, but light mm. beers were never really picked up um, the way that mid-strength beers gradually um, came to, to, to be done. How much is a, a beer that's coming in at under 1% with the you know, low flavour profile that that's going to have, has that been made possible by changes in brewing technology? And how much of it is because consumers, with the growth of the beers like uh, Great Northern and Summer Bright Lager and even the success of Corona, because those beers are so light flavour, it makes making a what can be termed a full-strength, low-alcohol beer possible? <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know. Um, I don't know a lot about how the, the guys, products uh, are doing their, their product. Um, so no, I don't, no, 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 it wasn't specifically that about that. But um, you know, a, a beer that's under one percent is going to have a, you know, one of the things that stopped the take up of light beers, you know, fifteen twenty years ago was that the flavour difference between the mainstream, you know, what was then full strength, and the light beers was too great. Um, whereas mid strength, it wasn't as big a change in flavour. These days, I'm just sort of imagining that a, a, a very low alcohol beer isn't going to have, when it's been compared to a beer like Great Northern, for example, um, the change in flavour isn't going to be quite so dramatic. Is, is that a fair observation? Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess um, there's been a lot of big change in, in kind of um, in the way some of these beers are produced and also, I think, um, from the early light drinking days are kind of brought about by the change in the drink driving laws to a large extent in Australia. Um, I think there's been a big change in, in the consumer sentiment about what, you know, how broader beer can be. Um, so if we if we went back, you know, 20 years or 30 years ago and you, and you put in a zero-out beer, people would scoff at it and wouldn't even go near it, um, much like because of the, <clears throat> the size of the change from full-strength beer. But because now there's a continuum from you're right, mid-strength seems to have been the big sweet spot, whereas light beers, while it was a very big market early on, it, it, it's, it's dissipating. Uh, whereas, um, and so this will be interesting to see exactly how um, Australian consumers and customers really take take to um, the lower um, alcohol beers. Um, I think there is a, there is a, um, a noticeable difference in flavour, um, and it's just a case of, whether people are prepared, and this is what it comes down to a lot, is whether people are prepared to have that trade-off. Um, so I think I think you're famous for saying, you know, drink less, drink better, or towards that effect. Um, but there's also, I guess, a um, acceptance that you know people do like to have a beer with their mates, um, and so you know, light or mid-strength beers or even zero-alcohol beers avail people of that opportunity to partake in the in the you know, in the social gathering and the enjoyment of the process, um, but then can still do allow them to do other things that, you know, life kind of dictates them to do. So it'll be interesting to see how um, this new category in Australia, because it's, it's, I don't know exact numbers, but I know last time I was in Europe, I, I did try quite a few of them, and I found them to be quite different in flavour, but not unpleasant, just different. And I, I guess that's the point you're making there. There is difference, but I guess the market's opened up a lot now. And so people may be a little bit more accepting because um, there is a variation of flavour and it. it's becoming wider. And so people aren't so, you know, um, gelled in their way of thinking of what a beer should be. It doesn't have to be 4.9 or 5% alcohol. It can be a variation. And so people may be willing to compromise one aspect of the drinking process to allow them to enjoy another aspect of it, I guess. 
And it's interesting at the same time, Scott, that the um, inverted commas, the craft brew beer market uh, or brewing side of things, um, there seems to be a, a trend at the moment to try to make uh, session IPAs or session pale ale. So we're going for the lower alcohol but with the more flavour rather than mm. the lower alcohol or the mainstream beer sort of going for a milder, you know, mellower sort of flavour. Is, is there a time where, you know, in your current role, where you kind of, I guess, miss having that, uh, um, I guess, the the freedom that, that the McCracken's um, uh, effort has given you? Um, it's, it's always nice at the end of the day, um, to just to be told, go and do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, uh, um, the advantages that we that I do have is that uh, um, you get to see a broader range of things, and sometimes it's good to have other people come in and, and, and just help you with that entire process because um, you don't want to be end up um, you don't want to end up just producing the same style of beer over and over again. And the advantages of having different people is that it makes you stops you from stops you what you're doing and it makes you step outside that kind of comfort zone and go okay let's have a new look at what we're doing um, and and you get that advantage of doing it that way and 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 you know the interesting thing about it is all these projects have their interesting brewing challenges and that's what's really enjoyable about the process at the end of the day is that you get to you get to kind of play with different things different ingredients and and, and have a look at how you know, our brew houses and um, our packaging lines are able to do it. And, and, you know, sometimes you might have to, it's a, you know, sometimes it's a case of different ingredients done in a traditional manner or sometimes it's the use of um, new or novel ingredients or new hops or or different uh, different processing options. So, and that's uh, an interesting part of um, making those style of beers. Anything else there, Prof? No, that's all my questions ticked off. Um, look, I, I, Scotty, then I guess if we can just go back to something that uh, Prof and I were talking about off air. Pete's just had a um, trip down to Tasmania and uh, visited the Cascade uh, Visitor Centre, which is still one of the great, um, you know, just scenic you know, places to, to drink a beer in the shadow of the brewery um, that I know of. Um, how, how are things going down at Cascade? Um, very well, very well. Yeah, so um, I was down there actually, I think about a fortnight ago, two or three. Um, had lunch there, had the fish and chips, and we could the fish and chips and all that. Um, and uh, no, it's doing very well. You know, obviously, um, when um, we closed uh, the Port Melbourne site, and the uh, Cascade became very much a large part of the Matilda Bay um, business. And um, so we're very fortunate, and we've got a very um, passionate group of Brewers down there who generally uh, are generally um, are very supportive of the things we're trying to do with Matilda Bay, and so I get the I get the, the great the great opportunity in this new role is to kind of pop down there. Uh, it's not as often as I'd like, but I get they make as you know they make um, a lot of my beers uh, in the Matilda Bay range, and so I get to pop down there and, and talk to them about that, and they look after them in a brilliant manner, um, and. And it just—it's um, just a spot that you—you uh, you just really enjoy visiting. You know, it's—it's it's the one thing that we always chat about as and our brewers. It's the one 
marketing story that you don't need to kind of embellish. It's, it's just there. You stand there and anyone can stand in that Cascade Garden, as I'm sure you did, Prof, and you look up and you can take a photo of the brewery and there's Mount Wellington sitting in the background. Um, it's an amazing place. Yeah, I, I commented to, to Matt that um, it it appeared that it wasn't having the same love afforded it that it was the last time I was I was down there. It just and it, look, it may have just been well, perhaps we, we just caught them on a, an off weekend. Um, but yeah, the, the gardens just didn't seem to be sort of singing. They just just didn't seem to have the same attention paid to them that um, that they had in the past. So I, I, I was concerned that um, and look, the, it, it, we we stay uh, about a minute walk from from the brewery so we're, we're driving past it you know twice a day every day at least mm. and and there's just a procession of you know like the um the brewery tours seem to be almost non-stop there's you know there's, there's a group going in and another one coming out every time you you go past at whatever time of the day um mm. and then i i, I kind of get i guess that you can't put the matilda bay beers um you know in the in the visitors center as a you know look here because i guess it, it you know, is there brand confusion and, and all that sort of, is that the main reason or? Yeah, I like think just... that's, that's fit it on the head there. It's, it's, that's the Cascade Visitor Centre. So people are, are there, they're, they're kind of expecting to see um, uh, the Cascade products on tap and they're the ones that are highlighted. Um, and, um, but if people ask, they, you know, the, the, I'm sure the, the brewers would tell them, you know, exactly what's going on because it's, I think it's widely known that they, they make our products, so yeah. But that's that's the reason is it is the Cascade um, Visitor Centre. How much does Matilda Bay then suffer for not having, you know, like a home that people can point to and sort of say, that's where Matilda Bay is brewed, and go there and 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 visit the place that and feel a little bit surrounded by, you know, because you you did such a great job at the Port Melbourne. Um, facility of making it. You know, you had the, the, the brewers board up there. We had the history, you know, the names of all of the people who had brewed for the company, and uh, you had all of the beers in one place. And it was something that you could actually touch. So I think it was called a, you know, by another marketing manager, computer uh, consumer facing brewery, and it just had that sort of outreach and that, you know, touch point. Um, does the Matilda Bay brand suffer for not having that anymore? Um, that's a good question. I, 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 I don't actually know. I, I believe it's. It's important that um, that it allows consumers to to really kind of focus it, uh, on on that aspect of it. <clears throat> but uh, I guess time will tell. Um, to see if we've uh, if it was a, a good decision in hindsight or a, a poor decision or whatever, but it was a, a decision made. And uh, so uh, yeah, I guess time will tell. So how's it? How is the uh, transfer of the beers to the Cascade Brewery been? What's the what's the production volume of uh, you know the, the the brew length down at Cascade? Yeah. So what we did was uh, part of the process was we've um, spent quite a bit of the, the good bit of the story, which I kind of we never really got to chat about, was the Cascades actually had quite a lot of uh, capital investment put into it, um, which is uh, quite thrilling and quite exciting. So when I was down there, is um, assisting. In that process, as acting head brewer, um, the um, you know there's quite a lot of money spent by the business um, to actually um, allow us to, to achieve that. And so uh, we can run normally we run about 180 hectolitre uh, brew length down at Cascade, and we've got um, some lovely new fermenters down there that allow us to uh, do single brews, which gave us that great flexibility and opportunity to get the Matilda Bay range. Uh, some of the range anyway into uh, into into Cascade, which has been great. And then there's you know lots of 
lots of other money spent on you know all the the non-glamorous stuff, but absolutely critical, you know, CIPs and separators and, and all those bits and pieces that make uh, the brewery you know, more efficient and cleaner and better and all that bits and pieces. But you generally don't talk about you don't talk about CIP sets, but they're so important. <laughs> 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 so that's that's the way we did it. So it was quite a it was quite an in, in, in depth process, a lot of planning involved, picking up beer volume and, and brew recipes and you know taking them down there and, and uh, getting them in spec and testing them and it's quite a quite an elaborate process and quite enjoyable when it's you know when it's all finished and done and you've got you sit there tasting the beer upstairs uh, at the end of the day so so you do have the capacity to, to do small batches mm. out of yep. there so you know, it, yeah. it, it, if you're talking about it, an incubator I guess that was what um, that the Port Melbourne facility it gave you the chance to you know try something at a smaller scale and see whether it grows into one of the larger breweries for production as fat yak has um, and, and you've still got that down at Cascade? That's correct, yeah. So uh, it, it's a little bit bigger, I guess, in terms of scale. Like, you know, uh, 180 hectolitres is, is, in most people's language, a big, a big site, um, <clears throat> a big brewery, and it is, don't get me wrong, but um, it also allows us to you know, pump out um, a reasonable number of kegs to kind of service the market that we service, uh, because quite often that was the, the problem that we had at Matilda Bay. We'd, we'd, we'd have that great ability and flexibility to make... You know, just about anything we wanted, um, but quite often we'd uh, transition into, um, you know, being struggling to supply the market because brands would take off. And so, by putting this kind of size in at uh, Cascade allows us to to meet meet that demand quite well. Terrific, old Scott. Uh, mate, unless there's any uh, new beers you want to. Uh to give us the scoop on. I guess we've probably taken up plenty of your time. Are there any new beers you want to... Uh... I'm always working on something new. Um, <laughs> marketing kind of looked dimly on me if I start talking to you blokes without their approval. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's always worth a try. Always yeah, worth a try. So, oh, oh, Scott, Scott Vincent, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News. And, uh, mate, hopefully we'll catch up with you for a beer in, during Good Beer Week in a few weeks. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Looking uh, Very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a busy week. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Oh, Matt, I'll be back in just a minute. That sounds like the uh, the telephone booth outside my house is ringing. (laughs) Why is that, Prof? I'm getting a gang call. No, no, no. Hopefully that covers uh, some of the... um, uh, the confusion or the or the misconception um, around and look, you know, it, it is what it is. I think it's great that um, that look, CUB need to keep uh, evolving. You know, if they if if they keep doing what they're doing, then it's it's going to go back to you know Carlton ununited breweries. They'll all just sort of disperse and and disappear. So you they, they, you've got to keep moving in this ever changing dynamic sort of beer environment that, in which we live. So 
uh, I think good on them for, for trying something different. Absolutely. And, you know, as I think I said to Scotty, it's, you know, it's frustration because I want to see the beer out there. It's a brand that, you know, is very important to my beer journey. But also, you know, it, to me, it highlights um, some of the stuff that's gone on uh, in in the market. And we are actually seeing very different approaches from the two big brewers. Um, you know, on the one hand, CUB has spun Yak out into a franchise. And it, it turns out that CUB, they've got like a marketing manager or a brand manager for craft um, and premium, I think. And then Fat Yak has its very own marketing manager separate from Matilda Bay. Oh, right. um, there you go. So, yeah, so, so I, I find that quite fascinating. And, you know, CUB is very good at exploiting big brands. And, you know, they, they try a lot of things and some things take off, um, you know, like Pure Blonde, Fat Yak. Um, there, there's a whole lot of beers that have taken off um, and they're very good at leveraging that success into brands. Um, I don't think that they're very good at cultivating you know, they they sow and they harvest. I just yeah. think that they're not very good. Oh, look, and you go back to you go back to Pure Blonde's um, predecessors, and you go. Well, there was probably something beforehand, and Mick Jonteff will be the if he can. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but Diamond Draft, um, which I think may have sort of spun out of you know um, Diet Ale or um, D Ale, uh, and there were probably some other you know low carb dry style beer. Um, experiments that that they did that, that with it on the vine because if the numbers don't don't get up then you know they they just can't afford to to nurse them perhaps and and that's what you're saying you know the, the nurturing side of things um, they, they it, it's a great way of explaining it that they they can sow and they can harvest the in between bit um, which I guess speaks volumes for you know the how good a beer fat yak was slash is that you know uh, an American style pale ale that was you know, probably lower in IBUs, but very similar to, say, Little Creatures, uh, but certainly not anywhere near, you know, Alpha, Hop Hog, Bling, uh, any of those sort of uh, bigger style beers, or even, you know, some of the craft beer um, American style pale ales. And yet it's, you know, it, it's just taken on a life of its own. And And to me, you know, sometimes I worry that, they, they have some successes. And you, you talked about Diamond Draft and you talked about there were multiple attempts at diet beers or low-carb beers and, you know, blokes wouldn't drink diet beers because they sounded girly. And there was a whole lot of things that got in the way of that pure blonde taking off. And there was something about, um, you know, so they tried all different forms of, of the beer and suddenly they had a beer called Pure Blonde. It was marketed as low-carb and it took off. And it's, it's one of those things where, you, catch, you know, if you try enough things, something's going to work. Yeah, but yet to, to me, there is sometimes a case of they forget all of the failures, and when something takes off, um, and, and and you look at the number of beers that they launched under the Matilda Bay brand, um, and Fat Yak took off, and suddenly they thought, gee, we're onto something here. So suddenly we had Big Helga, which was you know itchy green pants, and all of these names, you know, we'll, we'll create a beer, and we'll give it a crazy name and have a funny backstory to it, and that's the key to it. When it was really fat yak, was just this combination of things. Yet the marketers want to tell them it was our genius. Um, when it was just they sowed the right seed at the right time in the right place, um, and you know they've held on for the ride. 
I don't think that they're very good at growing brands. And I can contrast that to Lion, which seems to has a much broader portfolio of craft, um, and they seem to be much better at engaging at a at a lower grassroots level. Um, and which is one of the things that we didn't talk about at the front of the show this week. They announced Byron Bay. Lion has bought and Byron Bay Brewing Company, which is a uh, no stranger to Radio Brews News readers. Um, and there's a lot of consternation about it. What's your take on Lion buying Byron Bay, Prof? It, look, the cynic in me says they found a bit of loose change down the back of the couch and they've bought, you know, an ageing backpackers in Byron Bay that has got a large homebrew kit in it. Yeah, look, well, it, it's a little bit more than that to me. Um, and I think it's the same reason that see, and it's probably a really good um illustration for what I was just saying. CUB, my understanding is that CUB had had negotiations with Barry's. Barry's wanted to sell the, the, the brewery for some time if he could get the money that he wanted for it because the brewery is hamstrung in how it can develop. So it's a great venue to go to. But if you own a brewery, it's, you know, unless you want to own a, a brewery bar, that's not a, a great business model. And over no. the years, he's He's um, contracted it. He's licensed it to, Bar- to Barons, and they were meant to market it for a while. Um, he's tried to sell it, and my understanding is that around the time that the Byron Bay Pale Lager came out by CUB, there had been discussions to sell the um, brewery, um, and then they, they went a licensing route. And CUB's response was to, well, look, we'll license it, and we'll because there's a really strong brand here in Byron Bay. We'll license it and pump it out. We won't tell anybody. We'll make it look like it's made there, and we'll tell it. You know, then the whole thing went spectacularly wrong, um, and they got the ACCC and all of that sort of thing, and so they dropped it. Lion, on the other hand, um, sees the same value in that brand, um, you know, and they've also seen the the other brewery that's up the road, and they think we're onto something here. And they're not after it because they want to expand that brewery because God knows they're closing every other brewery, every other small brewery they've got um, outside of the key ones. But they want to do what they did with Kosciuszko. And Kosciuszko was a 500-litre brewery that Chuck Hahn put in up at the Jindabyne, at the Banjo Patterson at Jindabyne. Yep. They, they, they made very small amounts. They got it out into all of the local bars. People went there skiing. They tried it. They seeded a couple of beer festivals. They just sort of took it, you know, a couple of kegs down at beer festivals. They seeded it, and then they moved it down to um, Campertown to the Malt Shovel Brewery and took it national. Um, and that was the, the discussion I had last week um, where when the announcement came out, I pretty much put it to them. And, you know, they, they had the straight Deadpool answer, well, look, when it's a 250,000-litre um, brew house. Um, that's the capacity in a year. We're nowhere near that. We want to try and grow it in the local area, and that's our first concern. But 250,000 litres for a brewery is nothing for a brewery of that size. So given that they can't expand that brewery, they, you know, they've just sacked a whole lot of people in Tasmania because they don't, they've got capacity issues. You know, they've got so much excess capacity. They've got no interest in building a new brewery in Byron Bay to do it, but they've got a lot of interest in building a new brand or building that brand, creating the love and the awareness that comes with a very, very beautiful, attractive part of the, the, the region and then getting it down to malt shovel to brew it and then onto little creatures to brew it um, and make it a big national brand. Um, 
which you know, which again, on one hand, very good business, very good marketing, but whenever we speak to someone like Ben Krause, it's exactly the sort of thing that he, um, you know, take takes issue with. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So does so, it come with the backpackers? Are they now in the in the you know, wicked camper business as well? Like that, you oh, know. Uh, oh, yeah. That, that's the thing. They, you know. So they claim to have bought it um, without having thought through those things, um, which seems to me I'm pretty sure the board of directors would be asking questions if they uh, just, you know, however, you know, you'd imagine it'd be a couple of million dollars um, for it. You know, um, you'd imagine that the board of directors wouldn't just sign off on a couple of million dollars without understanding what the plan is. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, but I, I think it's going to be the home. Line are very good at maintaining small little homes for their beers um, and then taking them as a national thing and brewing it elsewhere. Yep. Not, and the, 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 as we have talked about at Infinitum Prof, beer can be made anywhere quite happily, but it's when you put a geographic label on it and don't brew it there that you know you, you, you start having shenanigans being called. But anyway, they've been very successful with it with uh, Kosciuszko anyway, so I'm sure. But yeah, so, so, so that was my take on that, Prof. How cool. did we get here? Uh, it, oh, oh, it's look. just one of those rabbit holes we've disappeared down. Exactly. We, uh, cards and letters? <laughs> cards and letters, Lockie. Um, cards and letters. Now, we, we do have some cards and letters. Um... Harking back to CUB, and uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Cascade Brewery, and also talked about Matthew O'Keefe, who is the intellectual property manager for CUB, um, and a, a listener of the show. Um, he just flicked me an email during the week. We'd been talking about the history of the Cascade Four Seasons and sort of lamenting the demise of Cascade First Harvest, and he just sent me. He actually sent me through a video um, that came out in 2004 to launch the concept of the Four Seasons, and he said the Four Seasons Summer Blonde was first launched in late 2002 for the summer of 2002-2003, um, and from memory, because that, I mean, that, that was very early in what we now term the craft beer revolution, and apparently one of the problems was that they they brewed certain volumes, and so you know they have the Summer Blonde, and it was still on the shelves in you know Dan Murphy's and First Choice and those sorts of places when the autumn came out um, right and so so you, you which is you know one of those things so they they either brewed too much or the, the market wasn't quite ready for it and maybe that's another example you know I don't know maybe that's another example maybe I'm looking for things that support my argument but you know they they tried it once it died so they just went um, to the end but anyway so so yes yeah, so it was um, Matt says summer blonde um, and he talks about uh, Mick Jontef, um, who was being uh, on, on the uh, development team, he was also partnered with uh, Neil Barker and Claude Nyguy. Nye? Yeah, Claude, yep. Is that any producer? Well, I, no, I should know that. still around. He is, he is. I know they had a beer with him uh, about six oh, months ago. The three of them, the mad uh, scientists, oh, I noticed he didn't say mad brewers, yep. um, the mad scientists <laughs> of COB over many, many years. And, of course, Scott Vincent is now involved as well. Um, first Harvest was first launched in April 2002 
And as Mick said, it was a separate project of Four Seasons. Uh, all up, therefore, 2002 was a big year for the Cascade Brewery. And uh, I'll put that, um, actually, I should check. If I'll check with Matt to see if he has any objections if I put that up on YouTube, um, but otherwise I'll uh, pop it up. So, uh, Matt, thank you very much. And it's, as I said in the past, Prof, it's really nice to see that CUB, um, you know, they maybe came a little late to the party. Or that, that is their history, um, and they celebrated it before they understood it, but they certainly have uh, you know, a, a team of people um, who are spending a, you know, a good deal of time understanding yeah, their brand's, yeah, and look, brand's history. Yeah, if, if it's if it's meant that you know um, they they see the value in not only that history, but in the uh, accuracy of the of the history, and and keeping records and all that sort of thing, then uh, then that's a good thing. Well done, Tom. Yeah, yeah, and no, I so I thought that was uh, very cool um, to hear. Uh, another comment: Paul Pacey is becoming a frequent uh, correspondent. Um, shout out to Paul again. Thank you very much. Interesting one. Um, we, we've had in some parts of Australia Tusk Day, which is Ferrell's annual beer, annual um, beer where they brew a very hoppy beer. Um, and because super fresh. Of, super fresh. But because, yeah, hops are such a um, volatile ingredient in Perishable. beer, they make an effort to really get it out super fresh. And uh, Paul, who is, has experienced the last couple of Tusks, looks forward to it, made the point that they tweeted... Um, a photo of Tusk sitting on the back of an unrefrigerated ute um, and to him that seemed very, very contrary to his understanding of what they were marketing um, and uh, that, you know, maybe because he'd seen these photos, it doesn't live up to the marketing, it's not worth getting out for. And, uh, you know, I'd sort of flick the question to Steve, uh, Steve Finney, who's the national um, sales manager um, for it. And a, and a and, top bloke. And a, and, a, and a top bloke, um, you know, and uh, as I said to Paul, um, one of the things that motivates me is my constant sense of disappointment that I love a brand or I love a beer and I find that the story that I've been told is completely, which is one of the reasons why my focus um, is often on marketing because I personally take it very personally when, you know, rightly or wrongly, I've believed the marketing. Um, so anyway, so I put the question to Steve. Um, and Steve uh, so said, um, that task, task in those photos is for Western Australia. It's my car and my deliveries to Western Australia to venues less than 30 minutes away, and the beer is kegged off at zero degrees. The beer arrives at the venue uh, to a clean tap and is instantly served. Same goes for the rest of the country. Now, there was a bit of an issue. There was a train derailment on the Nullarbor um, that saw beer... Oh, that saw shipments held up um, for a couple of days. And so um, for the rest of the country, the beer is kegged off at the brewery. The beer is delivered and tapped in Western Australia the same day. No keg in Western Australia lasted longer on tap than two hours. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to call that as fresh. Then last, and that was last Friday. So that would have been Friday before by the time this comes out. Yeah, so last, last Friday, Friday in April. April. Yep. Um, the Thursday night before that, there was a 19-carriage train derailment on the Nullarbor. We learnt of that that afternoon, and so we had to delay the eastern states by one week. But true to word, we kept tusking our bright tanks for an additional week in Western Australia. Actually, that, that to me says a lot, because even though they learned on Thursday the beer was meant to be sent um, that day, the, the, the next day, Sorry, and they hadn't kegged yeah. it off yet. So, so, so they hadn't kegged it off and let it sitting in the, you know, even in the cool room 
waiting to go. They 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 had the ability to still keep it in the in the tank. So we had to delay the eastern states by one week. True to word, we kept uh, tusking our bright tanks for an additional week in Western Australia. It leaves Western Australia today. Now that was the 29th of April. Um, it leaves Western Australia today for the east on refrigerated trucks, as does all of our stock. The day it lands interstate, the reps go to the cold depot. They load their utes. Um, so it, it does go on a ute, beer is in four degrees, delivered and tapped at the venue when it's delivered. Um, and he acknowledges that the photo is just a poor execution of saying that Tusk has hit the road. And in fact, the East Coast stock is not kegged until this morning. So, uh, um, and I've replied that back to Paul. So, um, actually, Prof, maybe we should have a little bit of a segment, um, you know, like the checkout where people get us to put marketing <laughs> claims to the, to the test. Um, because it, that, that's something that I, I would really love to get into because it's something that is important to me. Um, but yeah, look, so I, I think we've got um, what marketing passed on that one, despite the, yeah, whilst the, the, the photos might say something, the marketing, the, the social media might say something, the brewery promise has been delivered. Yeah, I guess it's like the, the segment on the, um, on the checkout where, you know, the product versus package. Yes. If, if we were to show, a, you know, a big refrigerated truck filled with stainless steel kegs, you know, in a loading dock, does it really, is it, is it kind of more craft to show Steve Finney's you, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this is a case where marketing, um, you know, so, so the, the, the photo is purely marketing yeah. because as you said, you know, if we put it in a refrigerated truck and drove it, there is no photo opportunity. But the idea of having, this is me, national manager delivering the, you, in, you know, delivering the beer in my truck, um, and a 60-litre or a 50-litre keg of beer um, stays cool. It, it, it keeps its cool for a considerable period of time. Yeah, so yeah. if it's 30 minutes away, that beer would probably still be cold enough to serve. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to call that plausible. So, yeah. So, okay. So, Paul, but thank you thank you very much for raising it. Well and that is exactly the sort of thing that we do love to uh, to, to get our teeth into. Yeah. Um, now, Prof, in, in the cards and letters segment, um, mate, has, have there been any quiet whispers to you uh, uh, about things that you need to bring politely to my attention? Uh, I have to say, Matt, this time around, no. But then I, I didn't get out much <laughs> this week. <laughs> okay. so, so it's not that anyone's had a whinge to you about me. It's just that... I just haven't met them yet. Yeah, I just haven't okay. talked to them. Uh, I, I saw an interesting one with the um, uh, canning. The, uh, the article that we had on the micro canning rises up, down, under. Oh yeah, yeah. And the comments. That was a, that was a sponsored post, so it wasn't a. It was a paid for um, post. Um, oh no, but hey, uh, six, six and a half yeah. thousand people, you know, stumbled across it. So I thought that was that was pretty good. Yeah. And that's not including when we shared it to our own, you know, individual personal Facebook pages and that sort of thing. Uh, but the whole thing about uh, you know the the aluminium taste. Yeah, I'm surprised that that still goes. Why are we drinking the beer out of the can? I mean, I know sometimes you have to. Um, but, you know, go for the, you know, like Chur has, has got the, you know, the uh, what, full pool um, cans, I notice. Yep. Uh, yep. In the yep. same way as Colonial Brewing have got their small ale in the, um, there's a name for it. And I'm sure uh, one of our listeners, they're all, they're all saying it to themselves now or shouting it at their radio or their, their iPod. Um, which I guess, I, I don't know, I, I don't get the aluminium sort of taste. On, I, I, but I, I still, whenever possible, you know, uh, the beer tasting we did on Sunday, we just poured them into, you know, plastic tumblers that we bought at Coles. 
which I think is still better than drinking out of a bottle or a stubby. If you if you want to, you know, fully experience. If you just want to drink and chat with your mates, drink it out the bottle, drink it out the can. Doesn't matter. You know, that was I, I interesting feedback. Is this? But is that a case these days of people? giving that metallic taste to, to cans because they expect it as opposed to actually receiving it? You know, their, their perception is that they're going to get the metallic taste. Yeah, because you're putting your lips on a cold metallic um, surface. So do you automatically then uh, prejudge that it's going to taste metallic? Yeah. And therefore you, you kind of placebo that. Yeah, and it, it, it's one of those ones without blind tasting, you just really never know. Yeah. So um, now let me see. I'm just trying to check... Um, our iTunes because we had some good podcast. We had you had a good review and I had a less than stellar review. Oh, okay. Uh, last week, um, but I can't actually see that on the. Oh, we'll, we'll throw it, we'll throw it in for next week. So I'm I'm actually wondering whether it's uh, been deleted. But um, let's see, Pies Josh who has corresponded with yeah. us before, and I thought he may have even left us a review. Josh previously. is from um, uh, 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 Inebriation Nation podcast. Ah, okay. Um, As in, we'll highs, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, but he's reviewed us before, hasn't he? I thought because we've had a chat about. No, he. Oh, well, I don't think he's reviewed. He emailed us. Yeah, he emailed yeah, us. Yeah. Um, so he's left a review. A great podcast to get the latest news from inside the brewing industry. Matt and Pete have vast experience around Australian beer, and their guests are always informative. Five stars. So, oh, mate, thank you very much for um, weighing in. And uh, I have been making sure that I um, listen to uh, the Inebriation Nation as well. There we go. Um, so I might have to jump on and give them a... Uh, Back at you. Mind you, just as we sometimes do, I've logged in to see what else uh, Pied's Josh has reviewed. So he's given us five stars. Sadly lacking radio, five, uh, the Ono, so it, Bat and Balls podcast, um, and he's given his own podcast, Inebriation Nation, five stars. Why so, wouldn't you? Well, okay, I'm going to jump Prime on. Prime Minister's and allowed to vote for himself in an election. Well, that's very true. That's very true. That's very true, Pete Mitchum. So uh, I'm going to jump on and give myself a review um, <laughs> on Australian Bridge News. One is Matt Kierkegaard, one is Beer Matt, one is Australian Bridge News. <laughs> and uh, I, I can tell Australian you right Craft now. Australian Craft Beer Tap House. Yeah, what else can we do? <laughs> I can tell you right now, you're not going to come out of it looking <laughs> terribly good. I would have given it five stars, except... Anyway, yeah. um, mate, I reckon that's a show. What do you reckon? Yeah, it sounds good. Um, we, we've given oh one more thing for listeners as a as a as a, as a um, thank you to the listeners that have stuck through to the end. We talked about the Good Beer Week in our sponsorship. I've got some tickets to give away, listeners. So if you've listened right through to the very end, um, now we've got five. I'll pop a couple online, but I was looking at ones that might appeal to our particular audience. And the Cherry Tree Hotel in Richmond, which is in Cremorne, yep. in Richmond. Yep. Okay, so the Cremorne end of Richmond. Yep. Cremorne end of Richmond, okay. Um, from home brewer to pro brewer, the Cherry Tree Hotel, a must-see for any home brewer considering turning their passion into a thriving business. A lively Q&A session featuring old and new hands in the industry, fielding questions on how to tackle the first tentative steps into the world of commercial brewing. Pit falls will be revealed and hard-won knowledge shared. Sample brews and a two-course beer-infused dinner inclusive. Guest speakers Tracy Green from Bandicoot Brewing, Joel Drysdale from Venom, Matt Brad Bradshaw from Forest Brewing, Doug Brooks, Brooks Brewery, and last but not least, your host is Jesse McFadden, Aussie Hops. So I'm going to give away, I believe we've got a couple of tickets, um, uh, two tickets to each. Um, 
I'm attached you with uh, winners' names. Okay, all events could do. So anyway, so first email to listen, first on the buzzer, um, gets one or two tickets to that. Depending on how many other. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll share them another It's one. two tickets. It, it's two tickets, yeah. It is? Um, yeah. If, uh, yeah, it's two tickets if, um, if, if the package is only one, and I should have cleared the check that before we recorded, I will buy you the other. Um, so, listeners, get your emails happening. Um, actually, that was the other thing, Prof. Who, whichever review, review it was that was deleted from um, iTunes. iTunes was the one that was asking where he could get his free beer. Remember, that was the one where he said, oh, yeah, yeah. and that's disappeared. So, oh, okay. oh, well, maybe the six packs disappeared as well then. Well, he, he didn't email me, so oh, yeah, okay. so he doesn't. But look, if he, does, if he does turn up and and, uh, and say hello to us at uh, at the the Brewers Lounge at the Festival Hub on Wednesday Absolutely. the eighteenth during Good Beer Week, if you're in town, come and make yourself known to us and um, shout your pint. So, but anyway, yes. So uh, there you go, listeners. Email and uh, we'll get a prize. Otherwise, Prof. Good to chat. Um, bear in mind, I'll need your I'll need a little bit of hand holding to get me through the episode, the, the next episode, without. Yeah, know. that's right. We'll work it out. It's all right, Jeremy and I are good mates. I'll, you, I'll, I'll, I'll clear it all with him first. No, no, Jeremy's – and that's the thing. Jeremy's yeah. a great mate for me. Also, but it's also, also it, don't upset him. Well, how, how do I ask a question that I want the answer to without not asking the question? Oh, he's a, he's, he's my a problem. ventriloquist dummy. I don't know. We're, we're, we're... Well, I'm your, I'm your ventriloquist <laughs> dummy, prop. That's the thing. So who's my ventriloquist? I've got leggy here. I've got leggy here. I've got leggy here. <laughs> yeah, we'll work something out. Okay, mate. We, we must away. Arabs are dirty. Arabs are dirty. <laughs> 